0: This episode of The Outside Podcast is brought to you by Adidas, and the all-new line of Tarek's outdoor gear.
1: I think it is the best-kept secret that um, Adidas has also an outdoor department.
0: This is Christian Zwinger, outdoor design director at Adidas, and a man with a fairly substantial cold.
1: You hear my voice is a, a little bit dark.
0: But we're going to talk with him anyway, because a few years ago, Adidas started a big push to make their outdoor department a lot more friendly to the outdoors. Cut down on wasted material. Cut down on water usage during the manufacturing process. And they did. But Adidas is also making more fundamental changes. They're changing the design of their shoes to make them less resource intensive to produce.
1: And that is changing the aesthetic. And it looks very intuitive. So you're looking at the product and you have already the feeling, ah, okay, That is different to everything I've seen before.
0: The first thing they did on their running and hiking shoes was refine the placement of the reinforcements and abrasion resistance. Some of those choices were to cut down on weight, but they also made the shoes last longer.
1: Make a product that has a longer lifespan or a longer life cycle. It is already environmental friendly.
0: The second thing they did was they started looking closely at which colors they made shoes in. Because it turns out that different colors require different amounts of energy to produce. And the most efficient thing was to just leave the materials in their natural state.
1: We don't need a lot of decoration on the products. The right coloration or even no color at all is then the most beautiful thing.
0: When I got on the phone with Christian, this is not what I thought he was gonna talk about. But he says Adidas has a whole department analyzing the environmental impact of all their different products. And this stuff
1: adds up. And whenever we have the feeling that we are having an additional benefit. It is super cool because it is just like this natural fuel that is intensifying the interest in these sustainable ideas.
0: For more on Adidas outdoor products, go to adidas.com slash Terex. That's T-E-R-R-E-X. From Outside Magazine and PRX, these are Dispatches, stories from our writers in the field. So as I write this, it's the Monday after Thanksgiving. Cyber Monday, as it's known. When, if you work at a computer, you're bombarded with a lot of ads and emails for a lot of stuff you don't need, but which has been heavily discounted. And a lot of it is really standard stuff, like shirts and jackets, but there's also this other category of thing that's really gotten big over the last few years on the internet. The tiny company that simply improves something that already exists. Reinvents it. And then they have to sell you on the idea that their version will make your life substantially better than a standard version. So these products are totally legitimate. The socks being made right now are the most technical and well-designed socks of all time. Men's underwear has also taken great strides forward thanks to a new generation of product designers reinventing something that we all took for granted. Mattresses, too. But all these companies make something that you use every day, that's kind of at the center of your existence. So a small improvement really adds up over time. You spend a third of your life sleeping, probably two thirds wearing socks. Underwear, I guess it varies person to person. But then there's a company like Ruffwear, which for the last 20 years has been reinventing gear for dogs. And if there's any user group that's already totally happy with the standard version of gear, it's a dogs. Dogs have been doing just fine for a really long time. And yet Ruffwear is doing really well as a company. So what's going on here? We first got interested in RoughWare because we wanted to know how exactly do you improve on something when the end user can't talk to you about it? How do you make those tiny design tweaks that make a new product worth your money? But then we started wondering, does that even matter? Are Roughware's products possibly not about the dogs at all? Are they designing stuff that makes humans feel good? Or dogs? So producer Alex Ward went to
2: find out.
3: Bernie, the guard dog. <laughs> <laughs> Come
2: on in. This is what it sounds like in the production room at Ruffwear. Or at least what it sounds like when a stranger like me walks in with a microphone.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Ruffwear makes gear for dogs, with a focus on the outdoors. Patagonia for pups, one might say. There's harnesses, coats, booties, life jackets, backpacks, you name it. And on the day I'm visiting their headquarters in Bend, Oregon... The design team is in their weekly product meeting, huddled around a table covered in agenda items. There's prototypes of chew toys, dog beds, treat pouches. There's a circular disc thing made out of climbing rope and heavy-duty fabric. It kind of looks like a steering wheel. That's the last thing on our agenda for today. That's the fall-19 Winter circular tug toy. We got some feedback from Tracy, our avi-dog handler. (laughs) The thing they're trying to solve with this product is its classification. At this stage, they all know it's a good toy, but should it be positioned as a fetch toy or a tug toy?
3: We've been designing it as a tug toy, but it seems to be performing as a disc.
2: They've sent prototypes to some dog handlers, and now the designers are going through the feedback.
3: Tracy's dog, Jagger, he said he's never seen Jagger go so crazy for a toy. It's just that this toy, so it would act as a reward, but it wouldn't be one that they're actively tugging with the dog.
2: Gotcha. This particular handler is basically saying he loves the toy for playing fetch, but suggests that it not be marketed as a tug toy.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: But I think, I mean, that's one opinion of one mm-hmm. handler.
4: So mm-hmm. it could. I think it seems like they all kind of have their own cocktail that works yeah. with them and their dog, mm-hmm. and the same thing doesn't work for everyone. So, right. so we steer away from positioning this as a tug toy. Based on that feedback alone? I
3: would say, I wouldn't steer away from Tug, but I would put our best foot forward, which to me would be Fetch. Yeah. But it would be Fetch, and then right behind Fetch would be Tug.
2: So I've been testing that with Bodhi, and he loves it, um, but only as a Tug toy.
3: Mm.
5: I don't play Fetch with my dog at...
1: He's he's a mess. Um,
5: But as a tug toy, it's been working uh, perfectly.
2: If you ask Bernie, one of the many office dogs waiting for the humans to finish talking here and use the thing as intended, it doesn't matter. He just wants it. And herein lies the inherent tug of war when making dog gear. You're designing for animals, but people have to buy them. As Monica Welker, one of the product designers, explained to me, it's kind of like making baby products.
4: Like, oh, yeah. it's I the same type of struggle. Guy. It's, yeah, it's. I never thought of it. You that get way. through, yeah, and you get through the whole process designing for your user, but then it's like, okay, it has, to, work it has to sell or else it's, we're not a business, you know? it's, We have to, and dogs don't get to enjoy it.
2: Which is sort of why I'm here in the first place. Because in an industry where products are rigorously tested, designed, and redesigned based on feedback from users, How do you get feedback from a dog? Patrick Cruz, the founder of Roughware, says the first step in designing for dogs is making observations about how we interact with them and then coming up with product ideas from that.
5: And so all those observations, all those things come together, they get put into the hopper, and then they get distilled out, and we go out there, throw them into the mosh pit um, with all the dogs, and then we get a lot of feedback.
4: See
1: what I mean? Yeah.
2: <laughs> this is the mosh pit today, an open area right outside of Roughware's building. And if all mosh pits were like this, just a dozen happy puppies running through sagebrush, I'd probably go to more concerts
5: for us just to come out and do a quick check and see what's going on, but we'll often take off and head up to the trail up the Phil's Trail or go down to the Deschutes River, just kind of hammer the product see what happens when it gets wet and grungy and so it's a lot of fun.
2: Having a diversity of environments is key to making this kind of gear because unlike outdoor activities that require certain equipment like mountain climbing or kayaking, most of the stuff you do with dogs isn't confined to one type of place. You can play fetch anywhere. And Patrick says that in the early days of roughware, this had a big impact on how they designed products.
5: Every time we came up with a solution, there were new challenges because people would take a coat or they'd take a bowl or a backpack into a different environment that we hadn't anticipated. And they'd say, hey, it works great for all these things, but could you make one for this? And so when you look at our apparel item, I think we've got over seven, eight coats now, but each one solves a unique challenge.
2: Patrick started Roughwear in 1992, but he'd been tinkering with fabrics and designs since he was a kid. At age 12, on his mom's machine, he sewed together a custom backpack for Mariah, the family dog at the time. And at 16, he got his GED and promptly went to go work on a sailboat, where his woodworking, mechanical, and sewing skills were further honed. And in 1989, he started a business making kayaking equipment called Salamander Paddle Gear. But back then, in 1992, Patrick was on a mountain biking trip in Los Padres National Forest with his friend Liz and her dog Moki,
5: a Rhodesian Ridgeback. She had thought ahead. She had brought this plastic bag because she was going to be able to water her dog on this mountain biking adventure. And so we stopped and we were taking in the view of the Channel Islands. Soon enough, they stopped riding for a drink of water,
2: and Liz took out the plastic bag, filled it with half of her water so that Moki could reach it, and held it out. Moki stuck his snout in the bag, tried lapping the water up, but just was not having it. So now she was just holding a bag of water that she couldn't set down, and she didn't want to drink it, thanks to Moki's slobbery dog mouth. Liz told Patrick he needed to solve the problem.
5: We finished out the ride, had a great day, and on the drive home, um, I started thinking, because I was in the whitewater kayaking business we had garments that would keep water out. And if we had fabric that could keep water out, could you keep water in? So I went home, uh, talked with my sample sewer at the time, and uh, put together this, this bowl. Patrick's stitched-together dog bowl, a.k.a. the
2: quencher, would become Roughwear's first product. But not quite yet. At the time, the quencher was just a solution for him and his friends.
5: You know, I kind of dusted off my hands and said that one was solved and moved on. But I threw this bowl in the backyard and it sat there for the next nine months with my dogs. And everybody who came over was really intrigued with it. Um, You you pick it up and look at it and there was water inside, but it wasn't leaking out. And and the more that folks uh, looked at this thing, the more uh, interesting it became. You could almost see the light bulbs going on over their heads. And uh, so I figured, well, maybe we should do something with this. And um, that was about nine months in. I spent the next few months coming up with a a logo and a brand and a tagline. And then I sewed up uh, 15 bowls, um, three of each color in red, royal, teal, purple, and black, and took them to Outdoor Retailer where I put them on a, a card table next to our Salamander Paddle Gear products that we were offering for Whitewater Paddle Sports. And at that show, L.L. Bean came by and ordered 8,000 bowls.
2: This big, validating order was like that first throw of a tennis ball to a border collie that's been waiting all day for you to get home. Roughware was off and running, and the industry of performance dog gear was born. And it didn't take long for Ruffwear to dwarf Patrick's other business at the time, salamander paddle gear. At this time, around 1996... Patrick estimated the paddle sport customer base to be between 17 and 20,000 people. And meanwhile, there were about 52 million dogs in the United States. And Patrick was about to blow a giant dog whistle. Okay, let's take a second to talk about the dog industry as a whole. Because part of the reason that RoughWare is the leader of the outdoor dog pack is because they were so early into a business sector that just keeps growing. Current estimates put the number of dogs in the U.S., around $90 million, with global estimates around $900 million. And it seems like people cannot stop throwing money at their pets.
4: Whether that means buying them gear, vet care, better food, daycare for their dogs, um, that's, that seems to be a trend that's growing.
2: That's Susan Stribel. She's the marketing director for Roughwear. She says last year, people spent almost $70 billion on their pets, putting pet care in stride with industries like dieting and healthcare technology. And according to Susan, the reason for that is simple.
4: People are opting to have dogs and not children. Um, That's certainly true in my case.
2: It's basically true when you look at the statistics, too. According to the National Center for Health Statistics, births in the U.S. have been steadily declining for the past decade, hitting a 30-year low in 2017, when 3.8 million babies were born. That's about a 3% drop in the birth rate over 10 years. Meanwhile... Pet ownership is being herded in the opposite direction, growing 7% in that same 10-year window. Of course, maybe the economic recession plays a role in this time period, because as we know, babies are expensive. But given the money that's being spent on dogs these days, we're definitely treating our animals more and more like humans.
4: How much money people spend on a car, on a vacation, on a home, I I think these are extensions of ourselves, and we are sending signals to the world of what we care about and what's important to us. And I think for people whose dogs are are an essential part of their lives, the way that makes them feel good is maybe spending more money. Um, It's a reflection of um, how much we care for them and, and what they mean for us in our lives.
2: At the moment, the three fastest-growing categories within the pet industry are high-quality food, specialty services like walkers and daycare, and technology. There are robotic pet sitters, automatic laser play toys, self-cleaning litter boxes, GPS collars, and apps that do everything in between. There's even a collar attachment where, when your dog is active running around or barking, it'll trigger an automatic tweet from you or your pet's Twitter account. They've got that. We've got Netflix. And someone somewhere is probably working on dog Netflix. Maybe this is where I should come clean and say, I'm actually kind of a cat person. I mean, the reason those dogs were jumping all over me when I walked into the office, they probably smelled my cat Gary, who I snuggled with that morning. And as a cat owner, I gotta say, this whole performance gear for dog spectacle, it looks kind of ridiculous. I mean, seriously, you think your granddad's dog needed a fleece, jacket, and booties to herd cattle during the cold winter months? I mean, there's all this stuff for dogs now. Do they even appreciate it? Doesn't a random stick on the ground provide the same amount of joy as a tug-slash-fetch toy? Are you pampering your dog too much? I mean, with cats, you earn their respect. You don't buy their love. They also clean themselves. You can leave home whenever, and they're just fine. And they bury their own poop. But then... I would love to take Gary backpacking with me, and I can't. he simply wouldn't survive. Plus, as far as I can find, there is no roughware for cats. No company solving problems that cat owners don't even know exist yet. So this isn't really a cats versus dogs question. It's a question of whether or not the bowls and the jackets and the booties that roughware makes are actually benefiting the dog. Or is it just to make their owner feel like a better dog parent? Whichever it is it's working. For the past five years, Refware has been nothing but arrows pointed upwards as a business, increasing sales by double digits in each of those five years. And last year in 2017, they cleared $22 million in sales. If you've seen the show Shark Tank, Refware would be one of those companies where the sharks would be like, why are you here? You don't need us. And they'd be right. Refware has managed to never take outside investment at all. And profits have been reinvested into R and D since the get go. Remember those first dog bowls that Patrick made and brought to a trade show back in the '90s? He sold them all that day and made thirty-three bucks.
5: And I took that thirty-three dollars that it took to make those fifteen bowls, um, brought the proceeds back from those fifteen sales, and uh, and turned around and reinvested into buying more bowls, making more bowls. Um, Every time that I'd sell a bowl, I'd put it back into the the business and just continue to go. And that has enabled us to really dance to our own tune.
2: After the bowls, the next tune that Roughwear danced to was Dog Boots, which I gotta say is the cutest thing they make by far. Little boots on little paws. However, Patrick was initially not on board with the idea.
5: I wasn't a true believer of dog boots. It didn't make any sense to me, but um, one day I'm on the phone, uh, you know, sending out product to one of our customers. Uh, A dealer called me from Colorado and said, hey, you know, we really love your bowls. Have you ever considered making dog boots? And at the time I'm like, yeah, that's interesting that you mentioned that because I've got six catalogs that are sitting on my desk and they're all selling dog boots. But I can't make sense of these because these boots, some of them have suspenders, some of them look like go-go boots that come way up the thigh. And she said, well, you know, could you make them stay on? And I thought, well, yeah, that sounds pretty easy. And that was the the challenge that um, allowed me to step into this dog boot arena. So... Patrick put together some boots for his dog,
2: Otis, and went on a run. Otis was an Australian cattle dog and was used to doing 13-mile mountain biking loops with Patrick, so it took a lot to wear him out. But when he finally did, Otis would have to stay off his feet for a day or two.
5: Patrick wanted to see if the boots would have any effect. I put the boots on, we went out for a run, came back, checked the boots, they looked like they're staying on, looked at the wear and tear on the sole. Uh, but the, the interesting thing that happened for me was... After 30 or 40 minutes of rest, he was ready to go again. And that's when it dawned on me that these boots are pretty amazing. They, it wasn't him being tuckered out, it was that his feet were sore or he had stone bruising going on on his pads. And so the boots, that was a, a game changer for me, um, You know where I, I started to believe that boots really do make a difference on dogs.
2: With a proof of concept done, the next challenge was designing the boots so they could fit any dog, which is tough, given that there's so much variance in size and shape of paws across breeds. There's three main types of dog paws, webbed feet, cat feet, and hair feet, bred for swimming, endurance, and sprinting, respectively. For dogs, a simple number system doesn't work.
5: Well, you can imagine walking into a shoe store and say, I'm 176 pounds, and, uh, you know, what size shoes do I wear? It doesn't make sense.
2: Usually dog products were sorted by breed and weight, which makes things easier for the owners buying it, but maybe not so great for the dog. This shift into designing them from a dog's perspective was a game changer. It made more sense to use measurements, but it was up to them to come up with the dog measuring
5: system. You know, that's one of the biggest challenges. How do you measure a dog's paw? And what we did is we measured the width of the paw, because the length of the paw can vary depending on if you're measuring toenail, and where is the heel? And what we use is the carpal pad up on the up a little bit further on the dog's paw or leg. And so rather than be confusing, we found a way to take the dog's paw, put it on a piece of paper, lift up the other paw so it's weighted and the paw is fully splayed out, put a little mark on either side of that um, paw, and then you can measure the width. That gives you a starting point a much better starting point than saying, I have a 40-pound beagle, what size boot do I wear?
2: The measurement method worked, and the boots were a big hit. And in a way, it broadened their own market because outdoor enthusiasts with dogs tended to be people that would go to lots of different types of environments. Maybe you're backpacking through hard granite peaks one weekend and surfing on a hot, sandy beach
5: the next. But when you take them and you put them in a totally new environment, you're asking a lot of them. And so by having these products that... Actually, help them to uh, join us on our adventures. We're out there in some fancy gear. We got nice shoes. We got this high-tech coat on. We've got a really nice sleeping bag, stellar tents. Uh, but they're out there, you know, in the same suit of clothes that they're wearing back home. And we're taking them up to elevation or altitude, um, putting them into some unique conditions. And I think that's where our products start to shine. You know, they they allow. Uh, humans to bring our dogs along, they're, they're our companions, and why not just allow them to have a few of the items that we benefit from? It's a good point. Honestly, it's hard to think of pampering
2: when it's put that way. After all, as we invent gear that takes us humans further and further into extreme environments, why not throw dogs a bone? Especially when you consider the things that we ask dogs to do for us. I mean, sure, there's the fetching and the rolling over and the shaking paws, but there's also cadaver dogs that hunt for human remains. There's dogs that track scat in the woods for biological studies. There's avalanche dogs up on the mountain. There's even paratrooper dogs in the military that are trained to jump out of planes and into war zones to sniff out bombs and act as scouts. Seriously, Google paratrooper dogs. It's both very cute and very badass. Of course... All of these different dog applications take specialized training, which takes specialized gear. And as Roughware grew and started expanding their whole product line, they began filling these small voids to improve dog training. Like the Treat Trader, for example. Come
4: here. Come here. Come
2: here. That's product designer Liz Zaro calling her dog Bernie over. She showed me the Treat Trader, which is a small pack that clips onto your waist. Think of a chalk bag for rock climbing, which inspired the design, except it's kind of flask-shaped, and it fits snugly against the hip. At its core, the Treat Trader is just a pouch to hold dog treats. It basically accomplishes the same task as a Ziploc bag, only it goes on to do a lot more.
3: One of the things that we had in mind when designing this product was uh, accuracy and speed in which you can receive a treat and being able to do it with ease, like with one hand.
2: For anyone that's trained a dog, you know rewards are crucial for establishing good behavior. But the treats need to come quickly.
3: If you miss the mark by three seconds, that can do a lot with how a dog responds to the treat. They may not be interpreting it the way you intend.
2: The flap on the bag is magnetic, and it makes this little snapping sound when it's opened and closed. Like that. The noise is really consistent, so unlike opening a plastic bag or loosening a cinch string, The sound sends a clear signal that a command and a reward is coming. Plus, the magnet only takes one hand to open and close.
3: So if I ask Bernie to roll over, and he begins to roll over, then I can reward him with the treat in my other hand. And so I've got two hands going at one time, um, and I know that the pouch is closed. The audible cue is great for him because it tells him that he just did something good even before he got the treat.
2: And finally, since the flap stays closed when your hand isn't in it, Eager snouts won't be stealing treats, and you can run around all you please with your dog without spilling. So if you adopt a puppy like Bernie from a foster home, who had some behavioral problems to sort out when he was eight weeks old, keeping up with him might be a challenge. You'll want every advantage on your side, so he can become the proud gentleman he is today, thanks to Liz.
3: Good boy.
2: The Treat Trader isn't the flashiest product that Ruffwear makes. In fact, you might not even notice it at first glance. But I think it's the best representation of their goal. Improving the relationship between a pet and the owner. It makes a person's job more efficient, while benefiting the dog's behavior in the long run. Each one making the other's life just a little bit better. So, yeah, I guess performance dog gear can actually help the dog. It's not all about the owner's conscience or the Instagram feed, Although, a well-behaved dog is easier to photograph with sunglasses on. Roughwear's next round of products is going to be even more functional. Patrick says they're now looking at redesigning the harnesses for guide dogs for the visually impaired. They've got these curved, rigid handles that let you feel the dog's small movements and tell you what's in front of them.
5: They're basically a, um, a harness from the equine industry from back in the 40s. And not much has changed over the years. And so we've been working on a harness that uh, fits well on the dog. We've had a bunch of years building these things, and I think we've gotten really good at it. And then, de- Designing a link between the handle and the harness that is less bulky, that delivers the subtle nuances of the dog as they're walking along. They may step over a leaf or dodge out of the way of an overhead obstacle that uh, the dog is trained to move around. And that feedback is felt in the harness and in the handle, and it's delivered really quickly to the the guide dog user.
2: With a new modern guide harness and a smart puppy at the helm, the barriers for the visually impaired could be knocked down even further. And guide dogs and their owners already have a special bond. But Ruffwear's new harness is a good example of how quality gear can benefit both the owner and the dog. And during the design process, it turns out that getting feedback from dogs is not hard at all. It's obvious. They tell you. They just don't use words or surveys. Their motivations are simple, eat, be snuggled, repeat, so we know when they don't want something. and Their body language is crystal clear if you're paying attention. So, pamper the hell out of your dog if you want to. They'll love you for it. Or don't. They'll still love you. That's the beautiful thing about dogs. You could buy your kid everything at once, and they'll end up entitled, obnoxious, and spoiled. You spoil a dog, however, and you just end up with a better dog.
0: That's Alex Ward, he wrote and produced this piece. It was edited by me, Peter Frickwright. Music by Robbie Carver and Dennis Funk. It was brought to you by Adidas and their all-new line of Terrex outdoor gear. The Outside Podcast is a production of Outside Magazine and PRX. We'll be back next week.